1: Zangram here. Welcome to another episode of the Flip My Film Podcast. Uh, as always, the, the one of the best privileges that I have is to have somebody take over one of the episodes. It actually is less work for me, quite frankly. So it's it's a really cool thing. But as we started this peak community, we're finding incredible podcasters who are running their own amazing experiential podcasts. So Samir, who is one of the, the members of the peak community, has his own podcast that he started. It's called the Experience Business Podcast. So I invited him to join me so I can introduce you uh, to him and also for him to actually share what this podcast is about and what kind of people he's going to interview for you. So Samir, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Sangram. Thank you so much. You know, I'm highly obliged. And to be very frank,
1: it's my pleasure and wonderful to be part of this peak community. That's awesome, man. So, tell us a little bit about your podcast that you have been running, and what type of people are you interviewing on that for our community?
2: Hey, you know, this is very interesting because I personally believe that every company should be the experience company because uh, people don't buy product, they don't buy services, they only buy the experiences. So, the my podcast is about the experience business podcast, meaning every business should focus on creating the experience. And in this podcast, I normally interview people and sometimes also solo where I talk about what are the strategies, what are the viewpoint of other leaders like CXOs, CMOs, CTOs to make their business
1: an experienced business. That is fantastic, man. So let's go and like deep dive into it because Samir, you have above, I think about 10 episodes that you have graciously agreed to have it shared on the flip Funnel takeover Tuesday and Thursday episode so Samir again thank you for doing that information about you and your podcast is going to be in the show notes let's go Thank you hey everyone
2: I'm super excited in today's episode we would understand how podcasting can build better relationships and experiences for your customers and bring more business in today's episode, we have a guest who is a TEDx speaker and his company has coined the term. It's called content-based networking for building relationship with anyone. So let's welcome James Carberry. James is the founder of Sweetfish Media, which hosts Networker Podcasts. And it's one of the podcasts, the B2B growth is uh, lining in the charts of under 100. Am I
0: right, James? Yeah, it's a top 100 marketing podcast and that we've been doing for the last four and a half years, and been a blast.
2: I have been, you know, following you on LinkedIn and your content is really amazing, especially around the podcast and creating the relationship. It, the kind of engagement it gets on LinkedIn is really, really superb.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. I'm, I, I think it's gonna, we're going to be able to to dive real deep here and hopefully give some real tangible value to the folks listening. Sure.
2: Before we just start the conversation, I just want to know the real story behind how did you guys came up with this term called content-based networking?
0: Yeah. So we were actually at, uh, I think it was Inbound, maybe it was Logan and I, our director of partnerships, mm. we were at Inbound in Boston. Okay. Uh, I think it was a couple years ago. And we had been hearing a lot of people talk about category creation and mm. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that content-based networking is necessarily a category, but we knew that we had to name the methodology that we had developed mm-hmm. because it makes our approach to B2B podcasting very different from a lot of other uh, competitors that had been popping up over the years that were podcast agencies. Okay, uh, and And the difference really is you know, we, we care about audience growth. We want to create really great content that eventually helps our customers grow audiences, but we also understand deeply that it takes, it takes a lot of consistency. It takes a lot of time to build an audience in the world of podcasts. It's just, it's the technology isn't quite there yet. It's really hard to get discoverability within Apple podcasts and Spotify. And so it, it takes time to grow audience, but we knew that if our customers started using their show to feature their ideal clients as guests, then they could start to see results immediately. Mm -hmm. Within the first three to six months of the show, if you've interviewed your ideal client as a guest on your show, you've built a legitimate relationship with them through the content collaboration process, Mm -hmm. you can end up driving new business for your company just through those guest relationships. Even if only seven or eight people listen to each episode, the relationship you build with your guest is powerful, especially in B2B, When you're talking about the fact that one decision maker at a company can drive, you know, upwards, you know, 25 to a hundred, a seven figure deal sizes. And so, uh, so that's really the approach that we've had in our agency since day one. And we knew that we had to name it. And so while we were at that conference, sitting in our Airbnb, uh, we, we were going back and forth on what, what the name could be, what it should be. And uh, eventually landed on content-based networking. But I think it's I think it's really powerful. And I think that's a tangible takeaway here is if you have a unique and, and differentiated approach to doing something, yeah. name it and claim it. And, and since we've named it and I've wrote a book around it, uh, I, I'm seeing so many people now when they talk about this strategy, people will jump into the comments on LinkedIn and they'll be like, yeah, James Carberry actually wrote a book about this. You know, what you're describing here is content-based networking. And that just feels really cool. It allows you to be the authoritative voice. Not that nobody else can come up with this and and talk about it, but knowing that you've kind of put your stamp on it in in the industry, in the market, yeah, uh, I, I think is really powerful from an authority standpoint.
2: True, true. I still would like to understand here when we say we want to develop a content-based networking. I will come to the podcast part later, but I am just trying to uh, get to the theme and the meat of what you say, the content-based networking, right? How does it actually look like to someone who really wants to understand content-based networking? How does it look like that framework?
0: Yeah, so the framework, it's it's a three-part framework. And the first part of the framework is getting really clear on your goal. And so I'll just use the example that of, of my journey. So me as an entrepreneur, I knew that four and a half years ago, starting this business, uh, I knew that we had to get clear on what we wanted from B2B growth, the show that has now done really, really well. And I knew that the goal was new customers for our agency, Sweetfish Media. And so I got crystal clear on my goal. What do I want? Okay. I want new customers. Then I had to get real clear on the second part of the framework, which is people. And so I thought, if I need new customers, then my people are the decision makers that can actually buy our product, our service. And so for us, we realized that that was VPs of marketing at B2B SaaS companies with 50 plus employees. So we got really granular on who are the people that we need to build relationships with so that we can ultimately map toward our goal. Now, does that mean that every single person is going to be an ideal fit for, for us and they're going to be in market for what we do? Of course not. But we knew that if we could build relationships with hundreds, potentially thousands of the right people, that it would end up mapping to new business because we all make decisions we, we make purchase decisions uh, based on people that we know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we build that trust digitally. Other times we build it offline. But we knew that for us to sell our service, we had to build relationships with the right people. So we got clear on our goal. We want our show to drive new customers. Okay, if we want it to drive new customers, then we need to interview ideal customers on our show to build relationships with them. Mm-hmm. What do those people look like? They're VPs of marketing at B2B SaaS companies with 50 plus employees. The third, the third part of the framework then is the content itself. What content are we going to develop so that we can collaboratively work with our, our people, our ideal cl- customers in this circumstance, which is VPs of marketing? How can we create content with them so that we can build that relationship while simultaneously creating great content that allows us to attract our content to attract other people that look like our people, VPs of marketing? Mm-hmm. And so, B2B growth was born. And the biggest mistake that I see Samir is companies want to brand their show after themselves or after their expertise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got a customer uh, their their company is Bomb Bomb and they're a video email platform. Ethan, you're talking had about they Ethan, started, is,
2: uh, Ethan, you're talking about. Yeah, Ethan's incredible. Yeah. He's and incredible, had they yes. started
0: Yeah, e- had they started the video email podcast, mm-hmm. they would have a- alienated themselves from being able to interview ideal customers on the show because if they're ask if they're only talking to people about video email and one of their ideal buyers say it's a target account, a decision maker to target account for them, if they don't if they're not doing video email, well they're not going to have much to say about video email. Had if we would have named the B2B growth we could have named it the B2B podcasting show mm-hmm. and we could have tried to been developing authority around B2B podcasting because that's our expertise. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, man, so many people think, think about it this way. They want, they want to do it this way. And it, it inhibits you from being able to interview your ideal buyers because had we started the B2B podcasting show four and a half years ago, mm-hmm. nobody was doing podcast. None of our ideal buyers we're doing podcasting. So they wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been able to collaborate with them on content because they knew nothing about what the show is about. So instead we went one level up and we said, okay, let's make the show about B2B marketing. We named it B2B growth colon your daily B2B marketing podcast. And because of that, we can now go to our ideal customers and create content with them based on their expertise, based on their point of view about B2B marketing create really helpful content that guess what also is very attractive to other VPs of marketing. So we now are able to turn the listeners of our show because they're listening to these episodes, hearing from other practitioners that are B2B marketers. They become our customers because they hear our ad spots on our show, but we're also turning our guests into customers. And so the short-term benefit of guests becoming customers is something that I do not hear many B2B marketers talking about. Um, and it's absolutely real. You can't go into it thinking that every guest is going to turn into a customer. But if you go into it with the with the intent and the heart of trying to create great content with them, inevitably, you're going to build a meaningful relationship with that person. If you're approaching the content as you know, as a journalist mm-hmm. that's trying to extract the most helpful content. You're naturally through the pre-interview, the interview, letting them know the episode went live. You're building a real real relationship with the decision maker at your target account. And through that process, whenever you finally say, hey, you know, I know we talked about on the episode that you guys are struggling with this or you're doing that. Uh, I think we might actually be able to work with you on that. Would you be up for jumping on another call and talking about it? People are so much more receptive to that. Because you've actually done the work of building a real relationship. And I think in a B2B environment, when you're talking about closing $100,000 deals, $400,000 deals, putting in the work to create these relationships matters. And I wish I'd saw more companies that were approaching it this way. And you have to be real careful to not make it very transactional. So it's not like, because people can sniff if you're baiting and switching from a mile away. And so you can't just get them on the episode and then, and then right after be like, so, you know, let's, I, I just, you know, that interview was really just a, was a really just a discovery call. You can't do that. You have to be genuine and you have to legitimately be focused on creating really great content. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you that the happy benefit of doing that is that these relationships that you're forming with people turning these guests into actual friends. People want to do business with people that they like. Yes. People want to do business with their friends. They want to help their friends. And so if you use this content collaborative process to really build these friendships, build these relationships, the people on the other side of the mic are going to want to help you. And if they have a need for your product or service, they're going to want to give you an opportunity to win their business because you've been awesome and you've you've shined your spotlight on them for your show. So of course, you know, if they can, they're going to want to help you out. Where people I think get in trouble mentally is like they you can't get pissed if they if they don't help if if there's not a need, if there's not something that they, you know, if if they don't end up becoming a customer, you you can't oh, this strategy doesn't work or ah, oh, like why did I even talk to you in the first place? That that cannot be your heart and I want to make sure that I pound that home here because so many people can get it wrong in that part of executing this strategy. And if, and if your heart's wrong in it, then people are going to see that from a mile away and they're, they're not, it's not going to work for you long-term. So anyway, I'll shut up now, but (laughs) no, no, uh, no,
2: no, you brought a a very important topic. Uh, uh, I normally advocate the experience business or customer experience. And I keep talking like that when you are talking about the customer experience, then it should never start from you. It should never start from your own product. So it's not just about the B2B or B2C, the human nature is uh, is everywhere is the same, right? And it should yep. never start with your product, your feature. Nobody cares, right? Even if you start with today, there are hundreds of products or features which is in the market. What is that it is special for your customer? Can you make them hero? And the point that I'm driving from conversation that when you go, go for the podcast, our intention is to actually make our would-be client or the person with whom you are podcasting a hero talk about their yeah. pain point, what they yeah. w- what is aspirational for them, right? We can yeah. only hope for that. We can only talk about that, not talking about what we want to give them. Rather, what we can do
0: to actually help them solve their problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, like, and and I think and I think one of the ways that we've just recently started to figure out how how can we even add more value to mm-hmm. them is doing something we call POV discovery. Wow. So we advocate for doing a pre-interview with mm-hmm. your guests. Now, if they're an author, if they are speak on stages, if they've got a really well-defined talk already, you probably don't need to do a pre-interview. But I would also argue that your ideal customers probably aren't speaking on stages a lot. They're mm-hmm. probably not writing books. They're in the trenches doing the work of whatever it is, whatever job function they're in. That's why they're a decision maker for your product or service. So if you're only going after speakers and authors, I would really challenge you to uh, change your approach with podcasting and start interviewing more of your ideal buyers who are not doing that. Mm-hmm. But but when you're when you're doing this uh, these pre-interviews, we started doing POV discovery, and it really you know it's just a series of questions that you ask because what you're trying to identify is what is my guest's unique and differentiated point of view. What are they saying? that isn't already being said a million times. So for us, for B2B growth, we talk to marketers all the time. If I hear one more person say that sales and marketing need to be aligned, I'm going to throw my head through a wall. Everyone says that. Everyone knows that. Now, if you're going to tell me that sales and marketing don't need to be aligned, Mm -hmm. then I'll listen because nobody else is saying that. And I want to hear, I want to hear what you're talking about. (laughs) Why do sales and marketing, why, why shouldn't they be aligned? But so many people are saying the same things over and over again. I think it's the onus is on us as hosts and as, you know, as, as the being on the hosting side of this content collaboration Mm -hmm. to try to get out differentiated, unique points of view. That's what's going to grow your listenership over the long haul Mm -hmm. is, man, this host really has a way of getting and, and, and exploring content that I haven't heard before. Mm -hmm. And So here are the three questions we like to ask during POV discovery. And I hope this is really helpful for folks that are thinking about this medium. The first question is, what is a commonly held belief in this industry that you just passionately disagree with? And when you ask that question, using the word passionately, I mean, there's a lot of different pieces of that question that make it effective, but you're forcing them to talk about something that that goes against the grain. That's not something that everybody else is saying. They're not going to say sales and marketing alignment because they know everybody already knows that. But what's a commonly held belief that you passionately disagree with? That will get you, argue, you could really just ask that one question and you're probably going to pick up on a really strong point of view just by asking that question. But here are a couple other ones because you might have a guess. that's like, ah, yeah, I don't really know. Ask this one. What's something that people in our industry should start doing today that they are not currently doing. But the third question is: What is something that people in our industry should stop doing today that they are doing, but it's probably not driving the results that they think they're driving? And between those three questions, what you? What's a commonly held belief that you passionately disagree with? What should what should people stop doing or start doing? You're going to uncover a you're going to uncover a point of view that is worth exploring in the interview of the podcast. And once you figure out that point of view, that's what the pre-interview is about. Now you hang up the pre-interview, you go to schedule the, the actual interview, and now you can start to ask what we call what, why, how questions. Mm-hmm. And you can develop three to five questions that allow your guests to explore their point of view in a really tangible way. And, and honestly, the guests that we've done this with, a lot of people, they've never done this exercise before. So mm-hmm. they didn't even really know that they had a differentiated point of view. When you talk Samir about adding value, that is tangible value. When you help one your ideal buyer, when you can help them in a way that has nothing to do with your product or service, and you can help them by helping them articulate their point of view, that's gonna help them for the rest of their career. Whether it's with their current CEO, whether it's, you know, with a, a marketing leader that's gonna hire them at their next company, whether it's them starting their own thing one day. Like if you can, as the host of a podcast, help them identify and articulate their point of view on something that makes them stand out from the crowd, man, that's, that's freaking powerful. That is super helpful. And, and I think by doing that, by adding value independent of your product or service, it's going to make that person want to end up doing business with you. And so you, you, you go through the pre-interview, you during, before you hit record on your actual interview, you know, a few days, maybe a week or so later, You come up with what are your what, why, how questions. The what questions are really just, you know, probably just repurposed from the POV question that you asked earlier, you know, teeing them up on the actual interview by saying, hey, you know, we talked offline, you know, what is, what's a commonly held belief about our industry that you just passionately disagree with? So you're repeating, you're getting them to define what their point of view is. The why questions are getting them to explain the rationale, the reason, the theory Behind their point of view, so you're asking things like you know what why should you know what what was the thinking behind you landing on this POV why should other people adapt what you're saying and then you've got your how questions and this is really what makes your content tangible and actionable this allows the guest to share like an action plan what's the first thing that a guest can do to start moving down the direction of doing what you're saying you should do and so when you do POV discovery combined with your what, why, how questions in the interview, you end up setting your guest up to look like a freaking rock star. They have clarity around their point of view, what, what the value that they're adding to the marketplace. And you've just facilitated a phenomenal piece of content that your company gets to own. And so it's a, it's a win, win, win all around. And I think that it's, I think it's critical that we really hone in especially if we're doing content-based networking on the art of extracting phenomenal content. From our
2: so, guests. but don't you think that it is so much work because see, it's very hard to get a uh, schedule from uh, someone whom you would like to interview. So yeah. what I'm trying to say that, what is the framework that you would like to suggest for the people, right? Let's say if you want to interact with someone who influencer or someone who's, yeah. whose time is very precious, of course, everyone, t- everyone's time is precious. And there's yeah. no point debating on this, but then Yes, we have to also see that how many times for a single uh, podcast or interview session, right, you would like to engage with them. Uh, Somebody will not be comfortable to record a session, let's say, a week uh, before and then once again coming back for the same session Mm -hmm. for the main session, right? So what do you want
0: to say on this? Yeah, so one, I think you'd actually be surprised how many people want to do the Mm pre-interview. Most people actually get really uncomfortable just recording all in one shot okay. um, because they don't really know what they're going to say. And especially again, if you're talking to people that are practitioners and decision makers, so say you sell to operations directors, mm-hmm. I can guarantee you most operations directors haven't written a book. They don't speak on stages. They mm-hmm. don't really know what it is you want to talk to them about. And they don't really know what their own point of view is. Okay. So the pre-interview is actually really helpful. And I think it calms their nerves a lot of time. I mean, we've been doing this and we see it firsthand that most people want to pre-interview. Now, if you're interviewing someone like Chris Walker or, you know, somebody that does this all the time, you don't necessarily, you know, I've been on hundreds of podcasts, I've written a book, I speak on stages. I, I know what I'm going to say. Do I necessarily want to do a pre-interview? Probably not, but I'm also not most people's ideal buyer. And so I think, you know, uh, it's I love and it's super flattering getting asked to be on a podcast. And I think you should be asking some people like myself that have written books and that are trying to establish thought leadership in their particular area. But I think a lot of your interviews should be with these practitioners that are in the trenches doing the work that would actually need your product or service to help them get better at their job. And so those people, I think, do actually want the extra setup. And when I posted about this on LinkedIn the other day, that came true. Chris Walker chimed in on the post and he said, hey, you know, this I'm i am speaking from a position of only being one person, but I actually don't like doing a pre-interview. Mm-hmm. And all these people replied to his comment. And some people were like, yeah, I don't like doing pre-interviews either. And I looked through that and I was like, Chris <laughs> Walker, not my ideal buyer. He does not have 50 <laughs> bucks Everybody else. That, that said like, yeah, I don't want to do, I, I wouldn't want to do this either. They were not my buyer either. They were one person consultants or they were, you know, authors or people that I do not want to sell to. But when I looked through and said everybody that, yes, this is so helpful, like I would, it would help me so much to have a pre-interview. They were my ideal buyers. They were VPs of marketing. They were CMOs. They were people that are in the trenches, not being asked necessarily to be on podcasts all the time. And so for them, the people that I really want to build relationships with, the pre-interview actually was super helpful. So yes, it might take you a little bit, and it might take a little bit more time to get those scheduled. But if you can schedule them both at the same time, that could be a way to go. So you could say like, "Hey, let's schedule the pre-interview for Monday, this Monday maybe coming up in a month, and let's schedule the actual interview for that Wednesday." Um, we have found that the closer you can keep those together, the more uh, the easier it is for them to remember what that point of view was, and for them to kind of come into the interview already kind of being geared up and and have been primed so to speak Mm -hmm. um but i can also guarantee you that this approach like asking people to be on your podcast as opposed to asking for a demo i mean i can't (laughs) tell you the last time i signed up for a demo and i i don't think i've ever said no to being featured on someone's podcast regardless of how many listeners it gets so that and i and a lot of people have that same approach like when you make it about them to your point earlier samir you make them the hero somebody's trying to make me the hero of course i'm going to say yes like Who's going to want to say no to that? You're going to get some people that are like, oh, how many listeners do you have? But I I think it's going to pale in comparison to the number of people that are going to be honored that you actually reached out and want to feature them. You made a
2: very interesting point that uh, why someone should not start a podcast with the things that they offer. People are always divided, right? When somebody who is just starting the business, they are always divided. This is a confused state for anybody to take a decision. Should I invest in thought leadership or invest time in building the lead and talking to the clients who are my ideal customers? So,
0: yeah. So, so I think you can actually build thought leadership on the back of talking to people that I I, I don't, I don't love the term lead generation. It makes Mm it, uh, I I would much, you know, I, I don't know. I just like the, like the idea of. Building friendships and relationships with people as opposed Mm -hmm. to treating them like leads. But, uh, but I think by going after your ideal clients, decision makers at your target accounts and featuring them on your show, extracting great content from them, I think that is actually going to map to you becoming a thought leader because you're understanding how your buyers are thinking, what they're going through, what their points of view are, and you're learning as you go. So you're compounding all of the learnings that you're getting from these people that are in the trenches doing the work. As opposed to the other way, I think a common misconception that a lot of people have is they think that by going and getting Gary V or Simon Sinek on their podcast that it's going to allow them to tap into those audiences. Mm-hmm. And we've had Gary V, we've had Simon Sinek on B two B growth, and guess what? Two of our most uh, our least listened to episodes are those two episodes because those guys don't have time, nor should they, to promote the episode that they did on our show. They're creating their own content. There's a reason that Jay Baer and Ann Hanley are considered thought leaders. There's a reason why, you know, uh, there's a reason why John Barrows is considered a thought leader in the sales space. It's because they put in the work to create their own content and they've created their own content so much so that they've built a massive audience. So, what is their incentive to promote? some podcast that has barely any listenership, they don't have much incentive. So they're not going to do it. And I don't think they should, quite frankly. And so, uh, so I think, but, but most people buy into the fact that, oh, if I interview Jay Bear, if I interview Gary V, then they're going to promote it. And it's going to bring this flood of uh, listenership to my show. And it just does practically, it doesn't work out that way. But if you go and do that with, a, a practitioner, someone who's never been on a podcast before. Well, they're going to put your podcast in their featured section on LinkedIn. I mean, they're going to they, they probably don't have an email list or or much of an audience outside of that, but they're going to tweet about it. They're going to talk they they're, they're going to talk about it on LinkedIn and their peers who are also people that you're trying to reach are going to are going to end up seeing that. So, I don't think that in interviewing influencers has as much of an impact on audience growth as what most people think. Mm -hmm. I think the reality of it is those influencers don't have time to promote the stuff that they do with you. Um, and, and you should be, you know, fortunate just to be able to use their content uh, from them to be able to repurpose it on your own and promote it on your own channels, maybe use it to get other guests. So for us, like, it's more important for me to be able to say, hey, I've interviewed Gary V and Simon Sinek so that I can go get my ideal buyer mm-hmm. to be a guest because they want to be associated with being a guest on the same on a on a on the same show that Gary V's been on. But I think using it in that way, so having, you know, having a handful of influencers that have been on your show can help in that way, but it's certainly not going to help very much for audience growth.
2: So what you're trying to say that uh, it's better to create a thought leadership in the industry. In which I want to work in.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in which you want you, in which your product or service is going to be helpful. in. so if you sell, again, if you sell to operations executives or Mm -hmm. say you sell into finance or say, you, you know, we're launching a new show, they sell, uh, they're, they sell into analytics. So they need to make their show about the expertise of the people that buy their product or service. And sometimes that is what they do that is their expertise but oftentimes it's not they want to instead so so the the analogy that i like to use is you know let's say that a web designer or a web design firm mm-hmm. they start a podcast about web design well if their show is about web design one it's it's going to attract an audience of other web designers their mm-hmm. competitors and two if that web design firm comes and asks me who i am actually their ideal client because from time to time, I'm in the, I'm in the market for overhauling our website. If they go to ask me to be a guest on the web design show, I don't know the first thing about web design. So I'm not going to say yes to being on a guest on a show where I'm going to look like an idiot. But if instead that same (laughs) web design firm did a show about the journey of an entrepreneur, the entrepreneur's journey, or, you know, the, the, uh, the service-based CEO podcast, something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, now like I've got something to say about that. I can talk about being a service-based CEO. I can talk about being a purpose-driven entrepreneur, but I can't talk about web design. And that's the trap that you see a lot of people get into when they try to make the show about their own expertise mm-hmm. as opposed to making it about their ideal client's expertise. And so hopefully that that helps clear that up for folks. Very good point. So why podcast? Yeah. So I think one, I think you can do that. You can do content-based networking in a lot of different mediums. I think you could do a LinkedIn live series. That would be really cool. I think you could turn those interviews into blog posts. If you've got a really good writing team, or if you yourself are a good writer, Uh, I think you could do a series of Instagram stories where you do, if, if that's your medium. Uh, one, I, 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 We've gone all in on podcasting because that's obviously our business, right? Like we produce podcasts mm-hmm. for companies. And so it only makes sense for us to execute the strategy through the lens of podcasting. But I don't want anybody to think that you can't do this in an, in other mediums. You absolutely can. Podcasting, in my opinion, is easier. The, the technology is way easier. You could use tools like Zincaster. You can s- jump on a simple Zoom call and just extract the audio from Zoom. Uh, so to me, podcasting, is the easiest um, than trying to figure out the technology for like how do I how do I j- get on LinkedIn Live or how do I do this to where we're streaming on Instagram at the same time? Um, blog posts take really you know take a long time. You've got to have a skilled writer that can mm-hmm. turn a conversation into more than something than just a transcript because I don't think anybody actually reads. I don't think any I don't read transcripts, <laughs> and so you've actually got to have a good writer if you're going to go that direction. Uh, video can oftentimes you know anything more elaborate than what we're doing here on Zoom uh, can be really really tough if if you're trying to get really fancy with video. And so I think what I love so much about podcasting mm. is you can do it at scale. I mean we're doing multiple episodes a day on B two B growth uh, because it's a medium that's pretty easy. I mean it's just two people having a conversation, and then we can rip the audio and the video out of Zoom, and boom, we've got you know 30 pieces of content for every episode we do. Mm. So that's that's why I'm a big advocate of podcasting, but you can certainly do it in a lot of different ways.
2: I, I would like to add here, because if in case I go by the stat, right, I think the in the recent past, in the last one or two years, right, the audio is really, really catching up. And with the smartphones and all the audio people, many times, I believe from the user behavior point of view, right, the videos you can watch only when, when you're sitting idle. I mean... Uh, right. whereas the podcast site right, people can listen to, can still do the Absolutely. work you're driving you, even the yep. video stats is that, you know, when you are in the bus or the train, right? Uh, even if you're watching the video, you normally prefer to watch the video in the mute mode, right? Yes. So ultimately you're listening to, uh,
0: either you're watching or you're listening, right? Yes. <laughs> so- <laughs> yes. I think you're exactly right. That's something that we talk <laughs> about often around here uh-huh. is Passive consumption. Yeah. And if, if you are creating content that is forcing people to have to actually look at what you're doing, whether that's written content or video content, you're missing out on the whole host of people that want to consume content while they drive, while they're mowing the lawn, while they're doing dishes, uh, maybe even while they're at the office doing something else. They're hearing your voice, your expertise, the expertise from your guests in their ears while they're doing something else. Mm -hmm. And you can argue that, you know, people aren't really uh, consuming everything because they're, you know, multitasking and doing other things. But I would much rather at least get the opportunity to be a voice in their ear Mm -hmm. uh, and build trust over time than only limiting myself to creating content that they have to be 100% engaged with to get anything out of.
2: Okay. Although I had another question about, how to improve the experience of listeners. But I think you have already answered many questions which I already had. Yes. So I'll just get to the technical side. And let's say if somebody wants to start a podcast as fast as possible, according to you, yeah. what is the what is the uh, basic setup Somebody should start with? Because uh, nobody wants to start with a big budget. Yes.
0: So if you're just getting started, and you want to spend no money, mm-hmm. go to Anchor. I think it's anchor.fm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Anchor yes. is a free hosting provider that you can use. Uh, so you just get your podcast cover art uploaded in there. You do your first introductory episode. I think you can even record straight from your phone even. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Anchor is a free hosting platform. We use Libsyn because it's got a little bit more in-depth analytics and we've been using it for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of honed in on Libsyn, but Anchor is really interesting. Spotify acquired them. I think beginning of 2019 maybe so they've got lots of funding the product is continually getting better and better so anchor for your hosting and then if you want to get a little bit more fancy and do video then i we just use zoom uh zoom is fantastic for for getting uh, video inter, uh, interviews done. And then if you want to upgrade your mic a little bit, you can spend like 60 or 70 bucks. I use a Audio Technica 2100. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the mic that I, I think during COVID, it's been pretty tough to get on Amazon. But depending on when you're listening to this, uh, if you just put in ATR Audio Technica 2100, it should work. We've also got an entire article that maps out everything we think you should do. We've mm-hmm. defined our 26 step process. So if you go to sweetfishmedia.com slash podcasting for business. It's just hyphens in between the word podcasting for and business. Um, go there. We've got our entire 26-step process laid out. So you can literally just go step by step by step. Mm. It's going to walk you through identifying your ideal customer, naming your show, all the equipment you need, um, all of that stuff. Go there. Check that out. Um, and it's not gated. You're not going to have to give us an email to get it. So, um, that's, that's what I would say folks need to do if they're, if they're so, wanting to jump out of the gate and get started.
2: Uh, coming to a very important question. When I started with my podcast, right? I had my view that, uh, let's start with a daily podcast because, uh, content is something it should be at scale. And, uh. But then it all boils down to the bandwidth, right? So according to you, yeah. should we go ahead with a weekly podcast or like somebody should start with the more frequency? What What is your viewpoint in terms of uh, creating more podcast?
0: So I think the way, one, I think creating more is going to ultimately map to creating better. I think a lot of people say, oh, you got to focus on quality, 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 quality. Well, I think you got to do both. I think you got to do quality and quantity. And I think that whenever you do quantity, inevitably your quality goes up because the more you do something, the better you get at it. Mm -hmm. And so I think you should be coming out of the gate, trying to do as many as you possibly can. One really tactical thing you can do to create more podcast, uh, more podcast content, especially if you're at a company is have multiple people on your team and people outside your company co-host your show. So look for, you know, maybe Outside, who are some influencers, some thought leaders, maybe some authors, if they they don't already have a show, and say, "Hey, I'm starting this show. Would you like to co-host an episode or two a month? You know, I'll focus on promoting the show, getting it in front of people, and you can contribute. You know, a couple episodes a month and uh, increase your exposure to this space. Um, And then having internal people do it. Your CEO could. Co host an episode every month yours a couple of people from your sales team could host you know a series on you know some maybe a specific problem common problem that your customers have and you could have three or four sales reps that do an episode each every month on mm-hmm. how they've gone about solving a particular customer problem. And by having different series within your show, I think we've got 19 different series within B2B growth. It allows you to create more content and it's not all on the all on the shoulders of one single host. You've got multiple co-hosts. So for us, we've got a CX series on B2B growth. We've got a series for agencies called the agency series. We've got one uh, for CEOs. We've got one on revenue. Um, We've got a bunch of different series with B2B Growth. We've got a behind the curtain series. It's hashtag B2C. And so if you just put the hashtag and the series name in front of, on the episode title, it allows your listener to scroll through. We've got a series on B2B Growth that I love that our director of culture and people ops does. And it's called the remote series. And so it's Mm -hmm. just hashtag remote. And today as we're recording this, he just dropped episode five And I love that series. It's more of a narrative style. He scripts the episodes out. He does a really cool intro. I got goose chills listening to the intro of Ryan's Mm -hmm. episode. And so your listeners uh, are going to find like, oh man, I really like the remote series and the CEO series, or I really like the behind the curtain series. And then they're, you know, the, the regular episodes. And so figuring out a naming framework and having multiple episodes or multiple series from multiple co-hosts. You can easily get, I mean, we're doing multiple episodes a day, and I do maybe two or three episodes a month myself. So many other people are contributing, which allows B2B Growth to be a daily show. I, to my knowledge, the only daily B2B marketing podcast available, and it allows us to stand out. We're constantly getting better. And, uh, we're, we're growing our audience month after month.
2: James, having a collaborative approach, even if you're a company or individual, right? Everybody wants to be on the podcast, right? Somebody who doesn't have the podcast, we can easily reach and then invite someone to join hands together. This is a very beautiful point, but isn't it overwhelming?
0: Uh, I don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you're focusing on making sure that your hosts are great hosts mm-hmm. and that they're getting the right guests on the show and it's really helpful content. So that focus on actually <laughs> creating helpful content is huge. Um, I I would much rather do a daily show and mm-hmm. say you're doing 20 episodes, say it's just weekdays. So you're doing 20 episodes a month. I would much rather feed 20 episodes to to listeners and have them delete 15 of them, and only listen to the five that they really like, that's still, you got five pieces of content into your potential customer's ears, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to doing a monthly episode. And if, if people don't like that particular headline, or they're not interested in that particular topic, you've now lost the opportunity to speak to that potential buyer for an entire month. It might be a few months before they get to an episode that they really enjoy. And so I think by upping the frequency, you're increasing the likelihood of actually engaging the people that you want to engage. Now, you could say that, hey, by doing a daily show, people are going to unsubscribe quicker. We've found that people don't unsubscribe from podcasts very much because the platform inside Apple Podcasts at least kind of makes it difficult. You got to hunt and peck to figure out how to unsubscribe from a show. Mm -hmm. They might make that easier down the road. But... We, I would much rather err on the side of quantity than worrying about like, oh, are we going to overwhelm the listener? Part of that's because me as a listener, I don't get overwhelmed with daily shows. I actually really like the daily shows that I'm subscribed to because the content is consistently good. And so one, you know, I, I think by having a daily show, you just have to make sure, is our content actually really, really good? Um, and if you, do the, if you do the POV discovery, And the what, why, how framework, I think the combo of those two is going to set you up pretty, pretty well to actually have really good content. Mm
2: -hmm. So what is the idea of the daily podcast so that you do not miss any particular date of uh, producing the content?
0: What's your strategy? Yeah, I, I don't get super hung up on if we miss a day. So, you know, we organize all of our content on Trello and we have due dates on every episode and we're out ahead a little, I think at this point, because we have so many hosts, we're out ahead like one or two months, but there's been seasons in the business where we didn't have an episode go live on Tuesday. And it's like, eh, like, does anybody really notice? Like we've got a thousand other episodes they can go listen to. Like, Mm -hmm. so I, I just wouldn't, I'd give yourself a lot of grace. I wouldn't beat yourself up. If you're like, Oh, we say we're going to do daily and we miss next Thursday. Oh my God. It's not the end of the world. The likelihood that anybody even notices is slim to none because people are busy and they've got a lot of other things going on in their life than listening to your podcast. So that's, that's what my response to that would be. Don't trip yourself up, aspire to do it daily because you know that daily is ultimately going to win, build a structure, some systems that support you being able to do it daily, and then forgive yourself, give yourself grace. If you don't hit that cadence, uh, you still did way more than what most people do.
2: Yeah. For my podcast, right. What I'm trying to do is that, uh, uh although I did not start with the buffer podcast means, uh, what I should have done that before even announcing it to public, right? At least uh, I should have some five or six episodes ready so that uh, uh, the first episode comes up and then the next episode comes up. So what what I am thinking of doing is that uh, um, going forward, uh, at least I will have some five, six episodes already pre-recorded so that I'm ready for at least 15 to 16 days. So in between, if in case, even if I have some uh, issues, right, at least I can skip and stay relaxed and my podcast is
0: already scheduled, right? Yeah. Uh, so another thing, another thing you could do there, Samir, is mm. instead of waiting and releasing them over time, mm-hmm. whenever you go to syndicate the podcasts and Apple podcasts and Spotify, you know, it takes a couple of days. Okay. Just launch the show with those five or six episodes. That way, whenever you go to promote the show and tell everybody that the show's live, when they go to listen, they've got more than one episode to listen to. So yep you're driving a bunch of awareness back to the podcast, wherever they listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. You're driving all the traffic there. And if they've only got one episode, say it's your intro episode, mm-hmm. well, you know that you're going to be releasing them over you know, one episode a day for the next five days. I think it's actually more important to have multiple episodes ready waiting on someone as you bring that flood of people to your podcast channel mm-hmm. so that they can get a feel and go, man, am I going to actually like this guy's content? Um, and the more opportunities you give them, uh, to, to do that, the better. So it could be a different, uh, not saying that, you know, what you're going to, it's going to completely ruin your show if you do it the other way, but just something else to think about.
2: So launching the podcast with at least four or five episodes so that people should get to know about the complete feel of. Exactly. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, next question I have is about the uh, promoting the podcast. How do you
0: think that somebody should promote the podcast? Yeah. So there are a couple of really tactical things you can do. One is you can do co-promotions on other podcasts. Mm -hmm. So this typically doesn't work when you're going after podcasts that are way bigger than yours, unless you're willing to pay them. So, but if you go to some shows that have a similar size audience, if you're getting, just getting started, you're getting, you know, 50 to a hundred downloads an episode, find some other shows that have about that same following and just reach out and say, Hey, do you want to do some do you want to do some podcast promos where for the next month I talk about your show in an ad spot on our podcast, and and for the month you talk about my show? Mm-hmm. The good thing about that is you're speaking to an audience of people that are already listening to podcasts. Okay. So if they're listening to that other show, there's high, they're high, they're much more the much more uh, much higher probability of them going and checking out your show because they're already in the podcast platform. We found that doing Facebook ads and Instagram ads and stuff like that. It hasn't converted very well from people on social to getting them over and actually subscribing to your show. But if you're doing podcast promo swaps with other podcasts in your space, it can work really well. I would also encourage people to earmark some budget, especially if you're a company, to spending money on doing an ad spot, for not for your product or service, but for your podcast Mm -hmm. on popular podcasts. So whether that's B2B growth, you know, we get 150,000 downloads a month. It might be smart for a company who's trying to reach marketers to come to B2B growth and say, Hey, can we pay to have you promote our show on, you know, 15 episodes next month or whatever. Um, you can do that with, you know, there's obviously a ton of different marketing podcasts that you could do that with if you're trying to go after marketers. And then the other thing I think you should do, and this is more of a long-term play, it's harder to measure, but I think you should be repurposing every episode into multiple micro videos and LinkedIn status updates and promoting that show on LinkedIn, especially if you're in B2B. Now, if your buyers aren't on LinkedIn, Obviously, don't worry about promoting it on LinkedIn. But right now, for whatever reason, there's an enormous amount of opportunity with LinkedIn organic reach. So your buyers are on LinkedIn right now. You should be going all in, throwing all of your chips into the LinkedIn game. We've got five people on our team. We call them our evangelist team. And it's five people from our leadership team that are posting regularly on LinkedIn. Our creative team is actually creating content for them based on their points of view. And they're publishing regularly, multiple times a week on LinkedIn. And we've already won new business because of it, because organic reach on LinkedIn is killing right now. So yes, I would say podcast swaps, where you're going to other podcasts around your same size, a lot of times you don't have to pay for those. Uh, Promoting your podcast is an ad on larger podcasts. You're going to have to pay a little bit for that. And then repurposing your podcast episodes into LinkedIn content. So it could be slide decks. It could be uh, micro yeah. videos. Yeah, any form.
2: Videos. Yes, yes. I mean, any yeah. form, any form. So uh, that's fine if it is in you know, a weekly podcast so there's some gap. But if what is the framework that Sweetfish Media is having, especially for the podcast that you produce on, on a huge scale, like every day? So if you are uh, producing the content every single day, right, how do you think that you will be able to promote this on LinkedIn uh, for every different episodes?
0: Yeah. So, so we don't, we don't get super caught up in making sure that every single episode has my, you know, we, for the most part, we do micro videos on every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we funnel those micro videos through to our different evangelists on our team that are posting regularly on, on LinkedIn. Um So, uh, but we don't do a slide deck for every episode. We don't do, you know, a a text only status update for every episode, but whoever the host is for that episode, we have a checklist on Trello where people can say like, okay, this episode, I'm going to do micro videos. And I actually think that this would make for a good LinkedIn slide deck. So we check the box for a LinkedIn slide deck and, and then maybe another episode we're like, eh, we don't really want to do slide deck, but we could do a really compelling LinkedIn status update about this particular takeaway. And so that's, that's how we go about doing it. We just have a checklist with all of the different promotion options for every episode as like the standard template. And then whoever the host is for that episode, whether it's me or Dan or Logan, uh, or one of our outside co-hosts, we, they just go in and Mark like, Hey, let's do this, this, and this. And that's how we handle it. Wow.
2: And the last question now, is how to monetize the podcast, especially when, when you were starting, starting from scratch with no audience. So yeah. or is there, is, is there any chance for the people, those who are starting completely from scratch to monetize their podcast and get Absolutely. the sponsorship?
0: Absolutely. I, I think the way you should be thinking about monetizing your podcast is by doing business with your guests. Okay. And that's the essence of content based networking. I think the fastest path to monetization for your podcast is to build a podcast that is built around your ideal customer profile, not yourself. Go and interview them on your show and make them look like a hero, make them a, the hero that they already are and, in the, in, and then build a relationship with those guests and then do business with them. That, that has driven hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for our business. And we actually don't do a very good job of monetizing our show with ad spots. And we've got a huge audience. And we've had over 4 million downloads on our podcast. And it is a small, small, small fraction of the revenue that our show produces comes mm-hmm. from ad spots. And so many people want to jump to getting sponsors for their podcast. But the reality is, most sponsors want to pay you on a uh, per thousand download basis. And it just, it's not very like to get a thousand downloads on an episode, especially when you're in the B two B like space, a niche within B two B. It is really freaking hard. To do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we've been at this for four and a half years, True. talking about it every chance we get, and each one of our episodes gets between a thousand to two thousand downloads an episode. We went on volume and doing a lot of episodes that are getting a thousand to two thousand downloads an episode. We probably have an audience of maybe ten to fifteen thousand. Unique subscribers. It's hard to know exactly what that number is, but based on some polling on how many how many episodes the average listener consumes, we're guessing we have an audience of somewhere in the ten to fifteen thousand range, maybe fifteen to twenty, but probably closer to ten to fifteen thousand. That's a lot. That's a lot of B two B marketers consuming our content. Um, And so, when it comes to monetization, I, I think people get tripped up on how do I get sponsors, and and the sponsor game is really hard. Um, we could probably be doing a little bit more, a little bit better with it, but honestly, I don't think it's worth it because if we can just continue to get ideal buyers on as guests on the show, one, it's way easier because who doesn't want to be a guest on a podcast Mm -hmm. and two, uh, it maps to way more revenue. We make way more money on our service than we do somebody paying us for an ad spot on our podcast. This is really good. Thank you so much, James.
2: For the listeners, James is also an author of his book called Content-Based Networking. And I would really suggest that please go and purchase on the Amazon. And if you do not want to purchase the book, then you must listen to his TEDx app where he talks about in detail the content-based networking and how he has been able to build the better relationship through this framework.
0: You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast.